Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. It's a peach without the fuzz. Of course, it's a nectarine. In this case, it's the honey halo nectarine, a sweet piece of fruit with a long harvest season. It becomes ripe when it's firm and crunchy, and then it can remain on the tree until it's rich and smooth and sweet with juice that's just running down your arm. Fruit tree expert Ed Livo of TomorrowsHarvest.com is back with all the juicy details. Plus, we solve your garden question about figs that split while they're on the tree. We also talk about cold-hardy palm trees with a palm tree expert. Plus, college horticulture professor Debbie Flower tells us the most important garden task that you need to do no matter what you're growing. It's all on episode 92 of the Garden Basics podcast, brought to you by Smart Pots and Tomorrow's Harvest. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Here's a quick tip from our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower. She mentioned this on an episode in which we were talking about potatoes, but took some scenic bypasses and looking for problems with plants. And she seemed, shall we say, very insistent that this is what you should be doing in the garden, and that is spend time with your plants. Is that true? Absolutely. If I could give people just one piece of advice to have a successful garden, it would be to walk around their garden every day. Get your favorite drink, whatever, put your gloppy shoes on and go out and walk around the garden and see what's going on. That's how you find the pest problem. That's how you find the thing that needs to be harvested, the thing that needs to be pruned, the thing that has fallen down that the animals at night have knocked over. Whatever the issue is, you don't see that unless you go out and walk through your garden. And why have a garden if you're not going to visit it? So visit your garden on a daily basis and you will have a much healthier, happier garden and you'll be healthier and happier too. Even if it's just a Zen experience for you where, like me, you go out and you just stare at the garden. Yes, your neighbor will yell over the fence, hey, staring at it ain't going to fix it. Well, <laughs> thank you. But sometimes it does because you get ideas. And you, oh, think, absolutely. and you think about it. And it's, it's, it's just a pleasant place to just stand and think. Yes. When I w was teaching, I would walk around my garden after I got off for the day. And that varied because I had a very varied teaching schedule. And now that I'm retired, I can walk around the garden anytime I want. But it is a good idea to go at different times of day if you have that freedom to do so. You'll see different sun angles. And if you're getting ideas, things like different sun angles or where the wind comes from or where the shadows are, are helpful in forming those ideas. Spend time in your garden. Everybody benefits from it. You and your plants. Debbie Flower, thanks for the quick tip. My pleasure. Thank you, Fred. It's Fabulous Fruit Friday, and we like to bring back Ed Livo of TomorrowsHarvest.com, a service of virtual nursery. And Ed, what do you have for us tonight? Well, I'll tell you what, Fred, I'm going back to the old donut-style fruits that you know, of course, tomorrow's harvest features and uh, the peaches and the nectarines. And this one nectarine is absolutely fabulous. And it's called the honey halo. 
the honey halo nectarine. And you said it's a it's a donut nectarine. What exactly is a donut nectarine? Well, donut nectarine is the flat styled uh, fruit. It looks like uh, what uh, what you see in the grocery stores now called the donut peaches. Typically, they're white peaches in the donut uh, style in the grocery store. But these are nectarines. This one, Honey Halo, is a very, very, very intense orange yellow flesh with just, I mean, a, just a wonderful traditional nectarine flavor, a little bit, just enough acid to make it interesting. It has this wonderful acid sugar balance that is just really traditional in most of your regular round nectarines. But this one has just a just a great, great, great flavor. The honey halo nectarine. So when does it usually mature? This is a mid-season fruit. So it's, you know, sometime around mid-July. All right. Is there such a thing as enough uh, nectarines in existence to have a succession of nectarines throughout the growing season? Well, of course there is. At the uh, Tomorrow's Harvest, we focused on a lot of these great varieties of flat donut-style peaches and nectarines. So we have a really great collection of those. And you can mix and match the peaches and the nectarines. But if you wanted to do just nectarines, you could have, you know, the early June ripening snack time, which is just a wonderful piece of fruit. And that's a donut-style nectarine. Then Honey Halo would come in in the middle. And then you can end the season with that white October snow, which is an amazing piece of fruit, just just in its looks, its its visual appeal is enough to make you want to just chomp the whole thing down. It's uh, a wonderful flavored piece of fruit, white fleshed. So, I mean, just those simple ones right there would give you fruit literally from June to September. And which USDA zones would these grow in? Nectarines typically are, I would say, on a stretch, six but typically, I think they're like seven to nine. All right. Typically. So the Sun Belt, basically. Yeah. Yeah. The Sun Belt. Nectarines are not as widely adaptable as peaches. There's a few varieties of nectarines that have some outreach. Um, you know, Maricrest is probably one of the most um, well-known. Fantasia, probably one of the most popular. Those that can, yeah, they, they, sometimes can do well in the right location and into zone five. Mm. But, um, there's, they're, they're limited for nectarines. And my apologies to all of you living in Zone 7 that are not in the Sun Belt. I see you, Atlantic Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Atlantic Coast, of course, has its own challenges. And nectarines can even be a little bit, you know, tougher to grow there as well. You know, so, you know, there, there, there's a few. Most of the varieties of, of stone fruit that you grew today, one of the things that you want to do is try to keep them low, you know, prune them low so that you can cover them and you can, you know, offer different types of uh, means of protecting them against uh, cold, uh, against, you know, when they early, when they bloom early, you know, you can protect the blossoms and or uh, particular uh, pests or diseases that may be prevalent. You can actually cover them and help to uh, ward off those pests or diseases. So size control on your fruit trees in the home garden or allow you to um, uh, impart barrier techniques covering your trees and actually get you uh, get you more consistent cropping so in the case of the honey halo nectarine a tree that would normally get what 15 to 18 feet tall you could keep it easily at, at seven feet tall oh easily yeah yeah I, I usually recommend you know go for six to ten somewhere in that in that range six to ten feet you know so so that you can keep the tree somewhere down where you can pick it while standing on the ground and i know that people you know will say well i have deer in my area and mm. you know deer eat everything but 
you know, it's funny if you can keep them down and bush them and and keep them in check, both width wise and height wise. It's really easy to just fence them then. And then when the uh, plant tends to grow through the fence, allow the deer come in and prune the outside of the <laughs> fence and keep them in check inside the uh, the fence area. We 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 had done those experiments years ago and you know watched the deer come in and help us uh, prune inside these little what I would call them a tube of of fencing that we'd put around the, our fruit trees and deer prone areas, but the fruit trees were nice and low. And all you have to do is just leave one end open. And so that you can just take a, yeah, I mean, we used to use just wire and just twist the fence together to twist off mm-hmm. the wire, spread it apart, go in, pick your fruit, put it back together. You're done. Honey, halo nectarine. The, the beauty of visiting uh, the web website, tomorrow's harvest.com is you're going to find out more information about the honey halo nectarine, but you're also going to find out which nurseries near you offer the tree for sale. And if a store doesn't have it, you can order it online from tomorrow's harvest.com. That's the truth. The donut peaches and nectarines are selling incredibly well this year, um, as is all fruit trees. I, I mean, I can't tell you if there's a bad or, or tree that fruit variety that isn't doing well this year. Fruit just has hit this real high level of popularity that I don't think I've ever seen before in my career. We talk about size control, backyard orchards, having trees maybe six to eight feet apart and only six to eight feet tall. You can put a lot more fruit trees in a backyard now than you used to. Those practices are now becoming more and more standard for um, home gardeners. But I got to tell you, and I'm sure you're aware of this, when you go on to all the different you know, popular blogs and websites and things like that, I think there's still this this um, lack of lack of connection um, of a lot of people that are even writers that are writing on the topic that really they haven't made the connection of the importance of size control and recommending size control and understanding that, you know, pruning in the summertime is absolutely a size control technique, you know, specifically. And, and, and it benefits of all the people it benefits. It benefits the novice gardener. Most of all, prune in the summertime. You're never going to make a mistake in terms of how you prune your tree. Not only that, but the fact of the matter is you're still going to get plenty of fruit off that six foot tree. That's the question that pops in their minds first is, you I won't have as much fruit as I want. How much fruit do you need? No, you're so right, Fred. I mean, we did those tests back on the 40 inch center as a plum, you know, that I grew for uh, what almost 15 years. Um, and uh, we averaged on a 40 inch tall center as a plum, we averaged at least 50 to 100 pieces of fruit a year. And we also did some, you know, little makeshift tests on how many, you know, center as a plums does the average pet family of four eat? Okay. Nowhere near 50. <laughs> it's not. So, you know, the, the idea of of having just enough over, you know, having too much, uh, I mean, you know, I, I think that that's a, a, an area that hasn't been explored as well. And keep in mind that if you want to have fruit for canning and if you mm-hmm. want to have fruit to give away, just grow it a little bit taller. 40 inches was an extreme, but I was trying to make a point. Well, like you pointed out earlier, though, by maintaining a height of, say, six or seven feet, it makes it a lot easier to net to keep the birds out. It makes it a lot easier to protect if there's a sudden uh, freeze coming up. So keeping a tree small has many, many benefits without the loss of fruit. 
Yeah, no, without the lost fruit and and spraying. But um, it also helps in areas where you get late freezes or late rains or late inclement weather, where if your apricot is low or your pluot is kept low, you can throw a little bonnet of row crop cover over the top of the tree Mm -hmm. just to keep the rain from hitting directly on the blossom or just enough to cover the canopy of the tree to capture some heat so that – the freeze doesn't affect your your tree in bloom, and that's a technique that we, you know, explored a, a whole bunch in my past years, and uh, and it works just fine. People are writing with questions for you. We we started answering questions a week or two ago, and all of a sudden, people have glommed on to the concept of asking Ed. So this okay. week's this week's Ask Ed question comes from Carol, who lives here in Northern California, and she says, Hi, I have a fig tree in the ground that I started from cuttings about five years ago. Last year, I had a very good crop, about 50 figs. The year before, less than 10. The problem I have is that some of the figs split while on the tree. One day they're fine, the next they're split wide open. Is this because of too much water or something else? I'll go with too much water. <laughs> yeah, cracking figs is actually, you know, it has a has a couple of different causes. You know, definitely moisture, you know, is going to be uh, probably one of the most common ones. And especially too much moisture uh, around the time the fig is just getting ripe. It's good to cut off water, moisture uh, or giving it a lot of extra water. When the fruit's beginning to color up, I, I think you slow down your water because, you know, of course, uh, if the fruit's growing and expanding, it, then it, it, the skin is, you know, not very, very tight on a fig. And so it gets very, very susceptible mm. to, uh, to splitting. So that's, that, that's a problem. But also, if you're in an area with high humidity, humidity can cause that as well. So mm. that can be a contributing factor. Um, or just the variety. So, f- for instance, uh, a brown turkey fig, very, very large fig. When it starts to get to be mature, the eye at the end, you've got the, the stem or the blossom end is the opposite end where the eye is, the bottom of the fig. That eye will expand very, very quick on um, certain varieties of brown turkey fig. And once that thing starts to expand, I mean, it can actually just almost look like, uh, you know, it explodes at the bottom of the fig. At what stage in the fruit development on a fig is that water amount critical? What would At what age is that fruit or what month would it happen where you got to be very careful about watering? I, I think you start looking at it when the when the figs start to color up. I think that's when you want to cut back watering, unless you're in containers. I mean, I've got some beautiful figs, you know, in my collection here that are in containers. Some of them are quite old, and in the containers, it's it, you you really have to keep the water on them all the time. That that's one thing. But in the ground, once they start to size and start to show a little color, that's when you want to back off the water. You don't want to be heavy on the water then. That would be a good topic for us to to discuss in future weeks is the care and feeding of fruit trees in containers. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah we'll do that next containers. week. Yeah, that's a great topic. I like right. I like fruit trees in containers. But this week it's the Honey Halo Nectarine. Find out more information by visiting tomorrowsharvest.com. We always learn a lot when Ed Livo drops by. Ed, thanks for another fabulous Fruit Friday. Fred, it was fantastically fabulous, and I'll look forward to the next visit. On a Friday. On a Friday. Yes. 
Smart Pots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots are also BPA-free. There's no risk of chemicals leaching into the soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer Smart Pots. Smart Pots' breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes, and they can be reused year after year. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the Smart Pots that have handles makes them even easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside. Visit SmartPots.com Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight fabric containers. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to SmartPots.com Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to SmartPots.com Fred. Do you like palms? Well, you can grow them, I won't say just about anywhere, but down to about USDA Zone 6 or so. But here in USDA Zone 9, palms are fairly common, but... Like all gardening is local, all palms can be local, too. We're talking with Neil Miner with Great Valley Palms here in the Sacramento area. Neil has a wonderful selection of many and varied palm species. And, Neil, let's talk about some palm basics. Once people know which palm they want, if it's available and will grow in their area, uh, give us some palm care basics. Um, here's a mistake most people make with palms. They don't, especially the queen palms. Queen palms are high maintenance, and I sell a ton of them. They need lots of water because where they're from, they're from Brazil. It rains a lot in Brazil. It doesn't rain a lot in Sacramento in the um, summer. They need a lot of water, and I actually fertilize mine um, April, June, and August. Mm. And you got And it's very important to get that last fertilizer in, in August because I'm sure you've driven around town and see people who've never fertilized their queen palm, and it's yellow. So it's not chlorosis that I'm seeing. No, yeah, it's just it's just lack of um, nitrogen or any kind of nutrient in that palm. The you got to have a uh, like a palm fertilizer that has um, they have like all the micronutrients like boron, manganese, magnesium. That's very important for the palm tree to keep it green. And it's slow-release fertilizer. And Actually, it's really important for me, because I have a lot of container stock, probably to do more in the container than on the palms in the ground itself. Like, I do that with my queen palms, but the best thing you can do with your palm tree is mulch it like anything else. You can um, get, you know, the free um, chip drop. They come down and they'll have all the chips you could use for free. They'll dump it in your driveway, 20 yards of it, if you have enough plants. Here in the Sacramento area, we can get winter temperatures down into the mid-20s, but you have some palms here that can take it even colder than that. What are some of the most hardy palms that you have? Okay, the three hardiest. Let's see, the Mazari palm which is from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq. It grows in the mountains there. And it's super cold hardy down to like almost zero degrees. And then, of course, um, tracheocarpus, any of the tracheocarpus, the fortuni, tracheocarpus tequil. There's other tracheocarpus that are more tropical in nature that won't do as well in the valley in the heat. They grow in more like a kind of a cloud forest mountain environment almost, like a San Francisco Bay Area type environment. And then the other one is this palm over here, the needle palm. This is one right there that is native. That's is um, native to the south in Alabama, Georgia. That goes down to like zero degrees and it clumps and it's, you know, just super cold hardy. I am amazed at the number of palms you can start from seed. A lot of your specimens here 
have seed around the ground and you're saying how easy it is to for them to grow from seed. Yes, I mean, okay, with the pindo palms, if you have your pindo palms, you have a nice big specimen, let's say at least eight feet of trunk, and it's real shady underneath it and there's lots of um soil underneath or humus or anything, they'll fall on the ground and they're undoubted that they're going to germinate. That You've seen one tree out front has a thousand of them around it. And so you can just pick them up off the ground and then put it in uh, probably some good palm media and you're good to go. Look at this queen palm right here. If you look on the grass right there, if you go over there, there's queen palm seedlings growing in the grass. So you can just dig those up. I could, but I'm not going <laughs> to. No. All right. How much water do palms really need? Um, it depends on the palm. You have some um, desert species like the, like talking about the Mazari palm or the Brahia armada, the, the blue Hesper palm that can get away with a lot less water than, let's say, a queen palm. But that doesn't say it doesn't need water because in the wild, these palms only grow around like native um, springs and stuff and canyons usually. So when it gets 100 degrees here, they appreciate the water because, I mean, if you don't water them, they're, they're going to look probably nearly the same. These desert palms are just not going to grow. So you put the supplemental water on them in the when in, on the hot weather when you get in the summer, and they'll push them out. And um, it's kind of weird these desert palms because um, where they're from, they get those monsoon. You know, coming up from Mexico and the Sonoran Desert, they get that monsoon. So these palms, their seeds are viable for a long time in case they don't get water. And so they'll fall into the ground and then, you know, birds will pick them up because they have a fruity out covering and eat them and they'll spread them places. And when you get that first monsoon rain, if they're in the perfect, in the good spot, they'll immediately, because it's so hot there, they'll put down a long sinker and get it just to get established and then start growing. What sort of bird life do these palms attract? Mockingbirds. This big Mediterranean single trunk right here, that is a bird hotel. Sparrows, that is their home this spring and summer. They'll, they have babies there like... No, nothing can get at them there, you know, like the crows can't get them. They, they just get deep in there and it's real spiny and the bigger birds like the scrub jays can't get in there and get their eggs and their little nestlings. So the sparrows like that, that's like a hotel for them right there. One more question. If, uh, and I, I get this question a lot, people want to plant a palm next to a swimming pool. I think you have some thoughts about that. Um, it matters what kind of palm. You don't want to, definitely not close to a pool. You don't want a queen palm because they're going to produce like prodigious amounts of fruit. And you can't avoid it because um, they have bisexual flowers. So you only need one tree to produce any fruit. It's going to produce it. You can't get away from it. You could plant, if you know what um, it is, you can plant a male Canary Island date palm because it won't produce the seeds. It'll just produce the inflorescence and that's it. And so you won't have big seed pods dropping in your pool. That's important. Yes. Or this Bolivian mountain coconut. Perfect. It doesn't seed till it's a little bigger. And then when it gets the big seeds, they're edible. They're the size of walnuts and you can, they taste just like coconuts. You can eat them. And that would be hardy in zone nine, I would think. Yes. I, that's, that tree right there survived um, 18 degrees. Oh, okay. Neil Miners with Great Valley Palms. We learned a lot. It's definitely worth investigating. Neil, thanks for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Have a great day. Warmer weather means that fruit trees and berry bushes will soon spring to life with the promise of tasty, nutritious, fresh fruit for you and your family. So what are you waiting for? A website with more information? Okay, you've got it. It's tomorrowsharvest.com, your go-to site for a complete line of backyard fruit trees and bushes. 
Tomorrow's Harvest fine line of fruit trees is the result of 75 years of developing, testing, and growing. Three generations of the Birchall family have been at the forefront of research and development of plants of the highest quality, and all of these beautiful edible plants have been carefully cultivated for your home garden. Look for Tomorrow's Harvest fruit trees at Better Retail Nurseries. And if your favorite nursery doesn't carry any of Tomorrow's Harvest fruit, nut, and berry varieties, you can order them directly from Tomorrow's Harvest. And when you order them online, they come in plantable paper pots ready for you to stick directly in the ground, pot and all. Let the Birchall family's three generations of experience take root in your home orchard, landscape and garden. Tomorrow's harvest. It's goodness you can grow. If you want to find out more about their nutritious and delicious fruit and nut varieties, visit tomorrowsharvest.com. Debbie Flower is here with a quick tip from our favorite college horticultural professor. Well, Debbie, we just heard from Neil Miner out of Great Valley Palms, and he was talking about uh, cold hardy palms. And one of the ones he mentioned that would be good for several USDA zones was the trachycarpus. And I guess the common name for that would be the windmill palm. Yeah, there are actually two uh, trachycarpus that do well in cold zones uh, or cooler zones of the U.S., uh, the Trachycarpus fortunii, the windmill palm, and the Trachycarpus tequil, uh, which I'm not familiar with at all, but the Kumoan palm. And so they, they can grow in zones 7B and warmer. There are some other cold-tolerant palms. Uh, one is the needle palm, or Raphidophyllum hystrix. That one's native to the southeast U.S., so you get a U.S. native, mm. and it can go in, into zones as cold as 5. Wow. Yeah. And there's also the Mazari palm, the Nanohorps, Richiana, for zones 6 through 11. And there's there's one with a real cold name, the Bismarck palm. But I don't think you can grow that in Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, the Bismarck palm is a native of Madagascar, but can take temperatures as low as 15 degrees, though it is better suited for uh, zones 8B and up. So there are palms for for practically all of us uh, in at least from the middle U.S. south uh, to, to grow in our yard. And if, if palms are your joy, that's a that's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. There are also some cycads. They're not related to palms, but they have some palms in their name, like the sago palm. It certainly will grow in a, in a zone eight and warmer. And we should point out, too, when we're saying palms, if you have the image of a tall, slender uh, trunk with some leaves at the top that parrots fly from, uh, palms actually, and most of the cold-tolerant palms we're talking about, are rather short-growing uh, specimens. Right, and that's probably why one of the reasons that they are cold-tolerant is that they can trap heat underneath them that comes out of the soil every night if they have a bigger canopy to do that, and that will protect them from several degrees of cold. Yeah. And then there are the palmettos, also known as the sabal palms, and they can get down to, what, I think Zone 6B. Wow. And uh, the, true to its name, uh, the toughest is the dwarf palmetto. So, right. So there you go. And when we're talking dwarf, uh, some of these specimens may only get five, six feet tall. Yes. And so they're more of a mounding shrub than a tree. All right. Palm tips, cold, hardy palms. If uh, you're looking for that tropical effect, some of these just might work for you. If uh, you live in if you don't live in Bismarck, these might work for you. All right. Yes. Zone 5B and above. So plant them in spring. 
so that they get established, March, April, May, something like that. So they get a root system before uh, undesirable weather, whether it's drought or very cold hits. Uh, they, When you're transplanting, if you damage the roots, not to worry, they will regrow a whole new set of roots. It's one of the really miraculous things about palms. Just treat them really nicely for the first two months, I'd say, that they're in the ground. Make sure they've got moisture, they, they are stabilized, they won't fall over, that kind of thing. You can fertilize them in April, June, August, so late spring through the summer. Use a palm fertilizer. They do show symptoms of uh, micronutrient deficiency if you don't use the correct fertilizer, and a palm fertilizer will have just what they need. And many of these shorter-growing varieties, I would think, would be suitable for containers. Yes, almost all of them would be suitable for containers. Some of them are fast growers, some of them are slow growers, and the, the slow growers tend to be the ones that are better for containers. All right. But you can grow the fast ones in a container, too. Cold, hardy palm tips for you. Debbie, thanks so much. Oh, always a pleasure. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday and is brought to you by Smart Pots. It's available just about anywhere, and that includes Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And for Northern California gardeners, it's the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's available also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments.